want the world, not all this, the vegans, we want people <laughs> to stop eating animals um, now, sooner rather than later. But yeah. the reality is that's not going to happen. So I think the greatest challenge is how can we engage people? And that has always been motion to engage people, not repel people, because I do believe in the goodness of the human heart. It's just getting them to see it. Hi, and welcome to the Vegan Women Collective podcast. I'm your host, Rachel LaMarche, and I'm a co-founder of the Vegan Women Collective, an organization that highlights and supports the activism and entrepreneurship of vegan women through panels, workshops, and this hopefully inspiring and interesting podcast. For this episode, I met with the incredible animal rights activist Pam Ahern, who's founded one of Melbourne's best-known animal sanctuary, Edgar's Mission. Pam was kind enough to meet me and tell me all about her story and the story of the beautiful animals in her care. I have to let you know in advance that at some point in the conversation, I completely lost it and started crying pretty much uncontrollably. And what's unfortunate is that I couldn't edit it out because Pam and I kept talking in spite of my sobs. So at some point, prepare to hear me cry for the animals that are still the victims of human cruelty. Pam and I spoke about her years as an animal activist, how she attended her first anti-fur rally at an animal liberation event over 30 years ago, and how it prompted her to believe that kindness is the only way forward for our movement. We also spoke about the challenges of running an animal sanctuary and how, if you're ever interested in starting your own, you should definitely do some research. As always, if you'd like to keep up with the events that we hold, please do follow us on Instagram at Vegan Women Collective or join our Facebook group, which is Vegan Women Collective and which you can find by searching Vegan Women Collective in the Facebook search bar. Last but not least, if you find the podcast valuable, that you enjoy our content and that you would like to support what we do, we have launched a Patreon page, which is patreon.com slash vegan women collective. That's Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Vegan Women Collective, where you can support us for as little as $5 a month. I hope that you enjoy Pam and I's conversation. Let's start the show. Welcome, Pam, to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Rachel. Thank you so much for driving down. So my first question is always about your journey into veganism. So if you could tell me a little bit how you found yourself becoming vegan. Well, there's the short answer and the long answer. The short answer is it was really listening to my heart. Um, the longer answer is I am a lifelong animal lover. Um, two incredibly wonderful human beings brought me into this world. My mom had a great love of animals and my dad was an animal lover as well, um, but he was also very into the law and, and the legal side of things. So I think that marrying the two of those things together, the passion for animals and the sense of justice, that has really guided to me to where I am. Uh, we grew up in suburban in Melbourne with uh, two cats and a goofy Labrador called Laddie who occasionally mistook me for a tree but that's okay. I spent hours in the backyard with, with my dog and um, the people who are listening now can't uh, see but you can probably hear I am smiling. I am smiling just thinking about those first animals in my life, how they impacted me so much. So it came as no surprise that when I became old enough the local stray cats and dogs always gravitate to me and I was, Mom, can we keep them? Can we find them a home? So then I became a foster carer for abandoned cats and dogs, graduating to when I actually moved to the country. My mum and I started the Central Highlands Animal Shelter where we would take the cats and the dogs from the neighbourhood uh, pounds. There was three country pounds near us at the time and this was many, many years ago and what would happen to those animals when they weren't claimed? They were just taken down to the tip and shot and we were horrified about that. So, so we took them in and this is the way way before the internet, social media. I didn't even have a typewriter. And we, <laughs> mother and I would uh, de have the cats and dogs dissect at our own expense and then we'd try and find homes for them. And I used to do these little handwritten notes and I'd put them up in the supermarkets and that and people would just tear off a phone number if they're interested in adopting a cat and dog. And I'm very passionate about animals and, and really loving these animals who are in my world, but wanting to always do more. And there was a little ad in the local paper one time about a list that you could send off for companies that to, had products that weren't tested on animals. I thought, well, that, that's really good. You know, I can be kind to animals by supporting companies that don't do cosmetic testings on them because that's not really necessary. So I sent off for the list and was looking at ways I could help animals. And then one time the list came out because it was continually being updated with companies changing and new policies coming in. 
And there was an ad in there for um, an anti-fur rally in Melbourne. And I thought, well, fur is really cruel. You know, we, we don't need to wear fur to close ourselves with. So that's really good. So I rang up about the rally and it was actually being held by an organisation called Adam Liberation. A little bit nervous um, about going along. And I rang the lady to ask about the rally and find out if it's okay to go along. And that conversation that I had that day with that lady was incredibly empowering and incredibly foundational for my style of advocacy. She was kind to me. I asked about the rally and I said, look, I'd like to come along to the rally because I think fur is cruel and we don't need to wear fur, but um, I do eat meat. And what she said next, that's okay. She said, it's not what's on your plate, it's how it gets there. I want you to think about that. Will you do that for me? I said, yeah. Now, she could have said, no, you know, meat is murder, you, you can't come. Yeah. But she was kind to me. So I went along to the rally wearing my woolen skirt and leather shoes and leather belt, incredibly shy child, and standing around listening to all the conversations that were buzzing around behind me. And this book kept coming up all the time called Adam Liberation. And I was a little bit nervous because, you know, my dad had warned me about, you know, the liberation sale, the terrorists, the communists, the wokos, the hippies, they're going to take over the world, it's going to be a disaster. But it had the word animal in front. So I was curious. So I got a copy of the book and it didn't take me very long into the book where there was a part where Peter Singer, the author, was talking about a time in England where some mutual friends took him to the local chapter of the RSPCA because they thought, you know, these two groups of people cared about animals and they'd gone on, well, they're getting on well, talking about animals and how they could better the world. And it came time for afternoon tea and they served ham sandwiches. And Peter Singer thought, uh-oh, and I thought, uh-oh. Here was I, animal lover, championing the cause of animals, uh, eating them and expecting people to take me seriously. So from that point, my life and my menu changed forever. Overnight, I became a vegan. I wasn't a particularly good vegan because I found out down the track the word was actually vegan. I had been pronouncing it wrong <laughs> okay. all that time. This this is like over 30 years ago and I, I read it in a book. You know, that that's how isolated I, I was. I lived in country Victoria. The only non-dairy milk that you could get was this white powder stuff. It came in a box. You, you mix it up with, with water and it tasted absolutely disgusting but there was no way I was going back there there was no way because I knew what dairy meant to a mother cow and her baby and I thought well yeah I might have liked milk but I reckon that mama cow loves that baby a hell of a lot more so it was it was easy and it was hard for me at the time because it was I I was not going back but I thought how am I going to sell this to people like this is disgusting and people aren't going to have that passion that I do to, to live yeah. it no matter however hard it is. But I'm so grateful now that living in country Victoria, as I do, a tiny little town of Lansford, our population is 1,204, 1,203 because I'm here today. <laughs> and in our little supermarket in the town, you can buy um, soy milk, oat milk, rice milk, macadamia milk, all these sorts of milk that don't involve... Uh, cows and you can get uh, vegan ice creams and you can get vegetarian burgers that are actually vegan this is in Lansfield this is Lansfield country Victoria a rural farming community so this is so goddamn awesome that, that things are changing and the only reason that they're changing is because people are starting to think and I really believe in the goodness of the human heart I, I, I talk about that all the time and it's not just a, a catchy byline. I really do believe people are good I think it's in our evolutionary biology and history that we are programmed to be kind the tragedy for the millions of farmed animals today is that people become so disconnected between the choices that we make and the impact it is on these animals you know we hear this thing now you know this huge movement you know in in free range in in humane meat and people want to feel good and and they're this belief that we actually we're giving these animals a better deal so it, it saddens me but it does also give me hope that people are starting to think that actually they're wanting to make a kinder choice for animal yeah. But it is actually it's, it's still it's still very unkind. It's still very unkind. So we're we're moving there. Um, I I don't like the the humane meat thing. I think it, it it is certainly a myth. And it's actually how can we get to these people? How yeah. can we how can we communicate to people? And so that comes back to that first conversation that I had with with that dear lady about actually finding the most effective ways to communicate to the public, to engage them in this conversation of kindness and how we can actually live out our ethics to to be kind to people because I really do believe people want to be kind. So from that moment on, you went to the rally, the fur rally, and then you went home. How did that change kind of go about and how did you find yourself now with Edgar's mission? It was quite scary and it was was quite 
daunting as well. As I said, I lived in country Victoria. I was with, with my mum and I just announced that's it. Like there's no more meat <laughs> and dairy in, in, our, in our fridge. Yeah, we're, we're done. And so we did what all good vegans do. We raced out and, and bought tofu and it was disgusting. We ate it raw. We didn't even know how to cook these foods. It, yeah. was, it was this whole challenge. And now actually it's really funny because one of my favourite foods is sweet and sour tofu balls. So I've, really, I've made, made friends with tofu. Um, so I was um, at the time I was actually an equestrian as well. I love loved horses. I always thought that I would actually die in the saddle um, because I just loved horses as a small child. I just wanted a pony of my very own. And we were city folk and my folk weren't particularly well off. So my pleadings for a pony fell on deaf ears. But my mum always said the worst thing you can say to Pam is you can't. And it wasn't because I was <laughs> one of those belligerent childs that wanted to be naughty. As I said, I was, I was really quiet child. You very rarely heard a peep out of me. But my mum certainly heard a peep out of me when she told me that I couldn't have a pony because I went and got my scooter. I took the wheels off my scooter. I got a pair of my mum's pantyhose and I tied the tie to each end of the pantyhose and I used to clunkety clunk and I rode the kitchen stool around the house forever and my mum went nuts not having any pantyhose and all the noise I made so she took me down to the local pony club and that's where my foundations with with larger farmed animals really began I achieved my dream of becoming equestrian and beyond anything I could ever have possibly imagined I was a very successful equestrian winning champion national rider titles across um, the country I was living my dream or so I thought. And now I realise that was only uh, really a dress rehearsal to get me where I am today. As I, I mentioned, I, I was um, a vegan um, in, in the equestrian world, which was very isolated. And when I would go to the agricultural shows throughout the state, I would always be in the cow pavilion, the sheep pavilion, the chicken pavilion, the pig pavilion, learning about these animals because I just I just loved animals and I was, re- was really connecting them and learning about them. But there was this uncomfortable this 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 round peg in the square hole I just didn't fit and towards the latter stages of my career I I could see the writing on the wall that I was going to stop and it was it was incredibly um, distressing for me because it was saying goodbye to my world and to who I was and going out into the great unknown but I didn't want to get to be 85 and think what if so in 2003 I was working with Animals Australia on a campaign called the Save Babe campaign, which was highlighting our flawed animal protection laws. And it was an enormous opportunity because I think there's so many things that are great about Australia. I think one of the great things is that our laws reflect public thought. They don't drive it. So what that means is we have the opportunity to change our laws. If enough people actually come together and say this is wrong... We, uh, I grew up thinking that you know our, our country was great. You know we cared about animals. We had the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals Act. But what I didn't realise that we actually said some animals are more equal than others, and we treat animals not on their ability to suffer. We treat our animals on the shape they are, our familiarity with them, and the intended use we have of them. Nothing with their ability to suffer, and that is just so inconsistent with a fair and just law. So how do we change it? Now we have these things called codes of practice in Australia for all the animals who are farmed for food and fibre and what that does that circumnavigates the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals Act it also circumnavigates ethical thought so people take great comfort that these animals are protected you know we do the right thing by them we have our laws in place but what they they don't realize that within the absence of the code of practice what we are doing to the animals who are farmed for food and fiber would be illegal 2003 the code of practice for pig farming was being reviewed this was an enormous opportunity to let the public know what was happening to these beautiful animals who want to see the sunshine and fresh air just as much as you and i and our cats and dogs so the universe was kind to us at the time and delivered james cromwell to australia who was working on a film and we thought wouldn't it be great if we could get james cromwell you know um oscar nominee and celebrity to actually endorse our campaign and get media attention because it's so hard to get media attention and luckily we got in touch with james couldn't do enough for us Uh, One of the major newspapers in the country wanted to do a story about the campaign and and James, but they wanted a photo of James and a pig. Easy enough. I approached one of the children's farms if we could borrow a pig for the photo. They go, yeah, sure, cost you $150. I said, well, pigs to that. I have a huge problem with children's farms because I think that they're very inconsistent with the messages they send to children. They play with these cute baby animals. And then if you have a look at what they have on the menu at lunchtime, there's a little bit of inconsistency what happens to those beautiful baby animals. So I really didn't want to give them money. I lived in the country at the time, always sort of be damn awesome to have a pig in my world so that's when Edgar Allan Pig came into the picture 
photo shoot went absolutely amazing. The thing was I only got Edgar the day before the photo shoot. He was from a free-range pig farm. Not many people actually realise that, but I'll come back to that a bit later. So um, we got Edgar and... <laughs> I'm smiling again. I love that pig. I can't tell you how much I love that pig. It was love at first sight for me and Edgar. I don't think he reciprocated that came down the track. But uh, I, I took him home. He was covered in pink poo. He stunk. And I had to madly wash him up for the photo shoot the next day. And we're in the kitchen, my mum and I washing Edgar. And when pigs are uh, scared, they actually fart a lot. So he was farting. And pigs do this, someone's killing the pig return. They are real drama kids. He was screaming his lungs out. He, he didn't like us. And as soon as you stopped doing it, oh, that's okay. It was really funny. I learned so much about pigs in the first few hours with Edgar. Edgar fell in love with my little dog, E.T. So what we did, we put Edgar in the pet carrier and E.T. and I, my friend, we walked down the street to where we we're going to do the photo shoot. We cleverly put the harness on him back home and then when we got out to the photo shoot we opened the carrier and Edgar came out and he just followed my little dog everywhere who followed me the photo shoot went really well with James and the journalists like oh wow like, you know you've had this pig less than 24 hours you've turned to walk on the lead wow you're amazing uh well let's do this action on the steps of parliament house you know in a week's time and James can walk up the steps of parliament house with Edgar and we can demand a better deal of pig and we'll get lots of media attention that'll be awesome wow that's a great idea hang on I've actually now really got to teach Edgar to walk on a lead so what I then did, I went race down to our local park and I had Edgar on one side and E.T. on the other and I was teaching Edgar to walk on a lead and he was, oh, pigs are so intelligent. So I think the intelligence of pigs actually breaks my heart. I, I wish they were dumb and stupid animals because I, I think what we do to them wouldn't be as bad. These animals are so intelligent. They are so aware of what's happening to them. And when I, I know what my life choices before my epiphany meant to these animals, I think that's what also drives me on. Edgar's mission is is in part my way of saying I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to try and right the wrong. So Edgar, very intelligent, picked it up like that, walked on a lead, and then he showed me something that I never realised. People came from everywhere to marvel at Edgar and his unique brand of pigginess. Yeah. And they would rub his tummy and go, <laughs> and then he'd flop on his side. Oh, my God, I've got the only epileptic pig in Australia. Pigs love having the tummy massage. They do a little grunt <laughs> and they flop on their side and there's sheer joy. And people's faces would light up and they go, wow, what's the go with the pig? What are you doing? And I was telling them what was happening to pigs. Edgar spoke so beautifully to their heart. I could speak to their mind, but Edgar spoke to their heart. Oh and God. I saw these incredible connections being forged between the animal and the humans whose choices impacted upon his kind. And that was very profound. You know, some people would be moved to tears. Some people would be joking, oh, bacon. And yeah, that's the before of your bacon. And that got me thinking that the best ambassadors, the very, very best ambassadors for changing the way people view the animals who are far for food and fibre are the animals themselves. So that's where Edgar's mission grew. Now, I can't possibly rescue all the animals in need, yeah. but the ones that we do provide sanctuary for are ambassadors for their kinds, the ones who will never, ever know human kindness. This is my greatest apology I can make to the animals I've harmed, and I think it's the greatest legacy I can leave to the world, that the simple, everyday choices that we make have the enormous power to change the world, not just for animals but for humans because I think when we go, it's only a chicken or it's only a pig, I think a part of our heart starts to shut down to justify. We know they're living beings. We know they're sentient beings. We know they can suffer. But once we reduce to them, they're only. Yeah. It sort of makes us feel comfortable about it. And a part of our heart starts to shut down. We justify all sorts of atrocities. And if you go back through the history of humanity, the way that we have justified doing things to those that we saw as less than us as saying That's they're good, only yeah. blacks, they're only Jews, even they're only women. Yeah. That they're only it, it it's just probably the the worst thing. But when you actually see a living, breathing, feeling being staring back at you, sharing the same air that you breathe, drinking the same water that you drink, it's it's really empowering. It's getting people to have these conversations. And I think that's one of the successes of Edgar's mission is our our focus on positivity our focus on kindness. These are universally accepted and embraced principles that we all want to subscribe to. Yeah. And it's actually getting people to start living these beliefs. And I think that's the key to a kinder world. And so would you say that that's the reason why you've decided not only to have such a in a, such a huge property, so many animals, but also to be able to run all these tours? Because you run mm. quite a few tours um, yeah. quite often. 
We, we do the, do the tours, and that was again with Edgar when I when I first started the sanctuary. I was going to be the only one who ran the sanctuary. Never going to have any volunteers. Never going to take any donations. Never going to rehome an animal. And then I woke up. That's not practical. Um, and that's why now today we've actually moved to, to the largest sanctuary to actually secure the perpetuity of the organisation. The land is now actually owned by Edgar's Mission, whereas it used to be owned by me as an individual. And I realised that, you know, we, we do need support. We, we I can't sustain it. I, I could have stayed uh, small how, how I was, but in terms of actually effectiveness, we need to have that bigger impact. We need to allow the public to come and see the animals, but always on the animals' terms. Um, we need to be able to uh, share our stories around the world. This is where the advocacy is, is so important. I think that's one of the things that we do so beautifully is actually telling the stories of the animals who we're fortunate enough to, to share our life with. And even when animals pass, I remember we had, um, and I will probably cry now, um, a little goat who came into my world um, many, many years ago. His name was Frosty. We're calling Frosty the snow goat. And he was found by... Some members of the public, while they were out bushwalking one day, he couldn't walk. And he had been born, he was a wild goat, and he'd been born in the forest. And just the beginning of his story, it speaks to the goodness of the human heart. I doubt the people who found Frosty were vegans. Yeah. They just saw this little baby goat who was in trouble and they knew what they chose to do next would determine whether that animal lived or died. And they chose kindness. They brought him back and took him to the vet and the vet contacted us. And we, we took Frosty on board and we nurtured Frosty and tried to heal him from his ills. And we got a little cart for Frosty to, to walk around in this little cart and he used to get around in this little cart. Um, and he was doing really well and he was the media loved him. His pictures all went all around the world. Um, Ugh, Frosty passed away in my arms when he was very, very young. And I was actually trying to drive him to the vet and I realised that I was not going to get there in time and he passed away in my arms. And I was heartbroken and I felt, well, I have to tell the people who were following Frosty's story that he'd passed away. Yeah. And I thought, they're going to judge him, harsh me. You know, they, they, um, I should have got into the vet quicker. I should have done this. I should have done that. Um, I was going to be a bad person because Frosty passed away. But... They celebrated me. They they commended my kindness. They thanked me for giving Frosty a chance. And I had people around the world sending me candles and, and necklaces with Frosty's little picture on it and all these things about there was never a harsh word. People were rejoicing that Frosty actually got to live, but people also shared a tear, more than a tear, about this little goat. And it just reminded me that, that you know, they know that we're doing our best and, and people are invested in the stories of these animals. And if they do pass away, it's not through my fault they know that I've done everything in my power but that was just really interesting for me I just, oh gosh you know I, 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 and I know there's nothing I could have done there's nothing I could have done differently poor Frosty was doomed but the beautiful thing about Frosty is that um, he got to live he got to have friends he got to know kindness um, and he was he had a name he yeah. had a name and he was loved and his story still lives on you know people still contact us about Frosty and say how Frosty made them go vegan you know that's that's, that's incredible so it, it is really challenging for me i'm an incredibly shy person it's really interesting because very early in my advocacy i had to do an interview on on radio about pigs and i thought oh gosh what if i say the wrong thing and and the person who was with me said speak from the heart if you and we said that when we were studying <laughs> we just just speak from the heart and you can't go wrong and and that's what i do i i speak from the heart it is also being vulnerable and people, I think people like to see a human being. You know, yep. if I say um, uh, it, it doesn't matter. I'm oh, definitely. Uh, and I think that is being vulnerable is actually putting yourself out there. You know, we're not perfect. And I think people can relate to that and is allowing people to, to be themselves, you know, allowing people to make mistakes and allowing people to be on their journey uh, to get to get. To, to veganism and it's very hard for someone like me who sees the animals who I know that you know by the time I go home you know, millions of farm animals are going to die um we all want the world not all of us the vegans we want people <laughs> to stop eating animals um now sooner rather than later but the yeah. reality is that's not going to happen so I think the greatest challenge is how can we engage people and that has always been mentioned to engage people not repel people because I do believe in the goodness of the human heart it's just getting them to see it yeah it's getting them to see it so in 2003, when you were doing the, you called it the babe. The save babe campaign. The save babe yes, campaign. Yes. Because you got Edgar, is that at that moment you decided, well, now I'm going to have a, were you already rescuing farm animals? No, I or? wasn't. I was, had, had, 
Uh, it's really interesting. The cat and dog sanctuary, we were forced to close um, within probably a year of actually getting Edgar and it was the worst day of my life. Like, oh, this is terrible, you know, this bureaucracy. I had to shut the cat and dog sanctuary. Um, what am I going to do, these poor animals? And it was lucky uh, the safer dog in, in Melbourne took over all the dogs that were t- taking and a lady came on and uh, Ingrid, uh, the sanctuary Ingrid Haven that took the cats. And so... If I had have been doing the cat and dog sanctuary, I probably might have just got a pig and kept him as a pet. But there was, I saw this opening, seeing Edgar in the park, seeing the impact Edgar had on people. That's where the idea of Edgar's mission grew. I didn't suddenly get Edgar and think, I'm going to start the sanctuary. So then you know, I rescued a few more farmed animals around. And then somehow a busload of people wanted to come and look at the animals I had. We actually had some of the animals uh, later that came that, with the pigs in uh, Charlotte's Web. And people wanted to come and look at these. And I thought, well, this is incredible. These people, I had this captive audience to tell them about Edgar's mission. And so the idea sort of grew and grew and grew, literally like Edgar. Edgar was just this smallest little pig and he grew to this 500 kilo mammoth of burning love. And every day I'm just reminded of the things that we can do and the impact they can have. We've recently got three tiny houses at the sanctuary so we can have bed and breakfast when we're actually... Wow, I want to go. Yeah, well, they're just about to open. And they are just so awesome. They look over what we call Gladville, which is for our older um, sheep and goats. They live in this this pasture called Gladville. Gladys was actually, I have to tell you Gladys the story. She was the first goat that I ever rescued. And I'm so glad Gladys was the first goat I ever rescued because I rescued Rusty. I'll tell you about Rusty a second. I was actually at this livestock market one day it was a notorious market. It was the Mernda Market. If anyone's been to the Mernda Market, they'll be going, oh, my gosh, yeah, I know the Mernda Market. It's closed down now. You actually could be forgiven for thinking you were in um, a third world country if you actually went to the, this Mernda Market. The animals were put in boots of cars and they were treated appallingly. It was just horrible what happened to the animals there. And everyone went, this goat just kept following me. I'd be looking at these animals and there's this goat just standing in front of me. And I said, you've got to come home with me, goat. I had to, had to save that goat. And that was Gladys. And she was this old Toggenberg goat and uh, her coat looked more like this really old, worn out shag pile carpet and I thought Gladys is you know she's really old she's going to pass away and, and Gladys actually reinvigorated herself and she got this beautiful coat and she lived for several years and she was just the most gentle goat and, and that's why I thought it'd be lovely to call the our senior section of the, the sanctuary Gladville in, in honour of Gladville. Now Rusty was the second goat I rescued and if Gladys was like the mother Teresa of goats uh, Rusty would be more like the Saddam Hussein of goats and he was, he was the naughtiest he was the naughtiest <laughs> goat he was so naughty uh, he's still with us today at the sanctuary he's much much mellowed in in um, his old age he's very old now but he he's a he's a lovely guy and just just those two animals tell you that there's differences like we you could say well tell me about goats and I'd have to say well which one yeah because they are all different and you see these personalities and these personalities start to come out and you know, we rescue these animals and they're these tiny, frail little shells of beings, and then slowly the they little blossom. personality starts to come to the fore. And you see them cheeky, and someone's really wise, and someone's a bit devious, and someone's a bit naughty, and these personalities percolate to to the fore. So it's just so incredibly lovely. And back to the, the back the tiny houses, like these, um, finding other ways. You know, we can be effective in, in our communication with people. So when we actually moved to to the new sanctuary there, um, I looked for probably two years to find somewhere to set up, and I wanted somewhere that was relatively close to Melbourne, so people could come and visit. It had to have you know good rainfall. It had to be pretty and um, uh, touristy and. The Madison Range is where we're settled. It's very, very, uh, very touristy. So we can get to a different genre of people coming to the sanctuary and curious about what we do and want to have a lovely place to stay and have these experiences with these animals. So basically, you registered Edgar's mission around 2003 or 2000, yeah? 2003, yes. So that means that it's been over 15 years now. Yeah. Is it harder or easier to run a, a rescue nowadays? Do you feel like people are more generous because the cause is growing or...? Um, it, it, it's one thing I sort of, I don't try to think of, of easier or harder. I think it is what it is. Uh, it's certainly, it is more challenging. It's something that, um, I never thought I would do. It's, it's, it's quite funny. Um, I wish my dear dad was still alive. He had such a profound influence on me. He was an incredibly hard worker. I always used to think he was the meanest dad, but, um, I think he was mean with a passion and, and mean with a love of his daughter. I think he knew that I was always very, um, very kind and very soft and his love actually made me, me tougher in, in, in the world and taught me the value of hard work. He, and when I say he was mean, like life was never easy. You know, you had to earn everything. Um, I, I don't have a credit card today. If I can't afford something, I, I don't have it. Uh, and that was been the ethos with Edgar's mission. I'd rather um, not have something or and go without 
till I can actually afford something something really good. That's always been mine. And rather not get something. It, when I first started the sanctuary, as I said, I was never going to take donations. I put it my heart and soul into I was working full time at, at the time I started the sanctuary. And I put all my own money into the organisation. And and it's really interesting you said about the promo of the tiny house because I'm always getting into trouble when I go back to the sanctuary. I go, you didn't push this, you didn't put this there. Because I am the worst fundraiser in the world. I hate asking for money. And that's my dad because he said, you don't ask for anything, you know, you earn it. Uh, but I think actually in doing that, people actually I think more inspired by the fact that you – we, we certainly need need the funds, but we're not asking people see it. Like I invested everything. I didn't actually go to other people and say, "Here, will you fund my idea?" I did, and the people have come and said, "We want to support you. We want to help you do more." And that's how we've actually grown to where we are today. Like the tiny houses, I was actually telling one of our um, supporters and donors and volunteers just things about the sanctuary. One of my ideas, and they said, "Tell me about the tiny houses." I said, "Well, this is what I want to do." And they said, "I'm going to buy them for you." I said, what? They're really expensive. No, I buy them for you. And they bought the tiny houses for us. And that was just amazing because they've they've seen what we can achieve. We now have staff, like we we have paid staff. I'm still a volunteer. I'm still (laughs) a volunteer, the oldest, longest volunteer we have. Um, So we have (laughs) have paid staff and and volunteers to make the organisation happen. So I have a responsibility to my staff as well, you know, to make sure that we have the funds to pay for them. That's a huge response. This is people's lives. This this is people's lives. So um, I need to make sure that there's longevity of the organisation organization as well so all these responsibilities so my dad actually wanted me to be a businesswoman I always meant to be a businesswoman you know get into to the law or commerce or finance and all that no, no I just want to ride horses I love my arm play with the horses and you know do the animal things and no 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 and now I am a businesswoman I am running this this organization but I'm still loving animals so I think I've actually still managed to marry the two of them together and yeah that we've been going 16 years I'm must be getting something right. <laughs> oh my god, no, you're doing fantastic because I feel like you said that your your staff says that you didn't, you know, promote enough and things like that, but you do really really incredible outreach and quite, you know, you're well known within the the Melbourne community. How would you say that that's kind of is it just the longevity or has there been specific instances that you think has made your visibility grow? It's really interesting. Um that you asked that question. I I love Simon Sinek. Um, he's a motivational, inspirational speaker, and I was actually listening to him on the way down. And he was talking. I go, oh, that's what I do. And he was talking about businesses, like businesses that set out to be the best and and, and be the best in what they do. And then he's talking about the ones that actually don't do that because it's a competition, and the ones that set out to be their best. And I, I go back to my equestrian career that um, I never ever set out to be the best because one um, I. I, my parents didn't have much money and we could never spend a lot on horses so I always just got the you know just a cheap horse didn't really worry me it was just, just a horse to ride and um, couldn't spend a lot on the good gear and all those sorts of things um, or even having lessons but I always set out to be my best and I would set a competition would be on the 5th of March I'm going to go to so and so and I'm going to try and wash my horse and clean and be and be my best and in if I get a ribbon, that's awesome. And if I don't, that's okay. I'm just going to be – so I was always setting out to better myself. And, and that's with, with the sanctuary what I've done is, is to better um, and just always be a better version of myself each day. And sometimes I beat myself up because I didn't quite hit my best that day. And sometimes, you know, I did – yeah, you did awesome that day. That was great. And it and feels really good when you've done your best. And sometimes the other bonus is it might be the best. But I, I just don't think it – I hate the idea of competition. I really hate the idea of competition. I just think being, being your best, do, doing the best that you can. And I think with coming back to Edgar's mission is that, you know, we I love telling the stories. I love writing the stories about the animals and sharing that with the world. And now there's – other people have come on board who help do that as well and I see the writings of other people's and the words and phrases that I use it comes out in them as well and we're all trying to be our best for the animals and I think the sincerity of what you do is what ensures your longevity you know people can you can see when someone's fudging it and and, and Australians in particular like we we like the authentic people you yeah know, we really we really love authenticity and I think that's one of the successes that we've had is people say we live it you know, we, we, we don't just love these animals. Like Rusty, he's still alive today. You know, Rusty's still with us. He's still doing goaty things. You know, these animals get to live out their lives with us. It's the authenticity of what we do. I think that's been our, been our success. 
That's amazing. Because you have, so how many animals do you have at the moment? We have over 450 animals in our care, which I would say it's a lot of animals, but in terms of animal suffering, it's nothing. And that's why the advocacy that we do is so, so important, speaking for those ones that we have to leave behind. One of my, um, before Edgar's mission, you know, to actually find out how I could be the most effective I could be. I did all sorts of, you know, activism. I, I went into some factory farms and, um, I remember having to go behind the first one I actually went into and we, we called the police because it was really, really bad. And to leave the chickens, to walk out and shut the door and to leave those chickens behind was really hard. And the first time I went to a bobby calf sale and I saved one calf and those other little baby calves, you know, looking at me with this wide-eyed wonder, just are you the one that's going to be kind to me? And having to walk away, like, you know, part of my soul's left there with those animals, but so is my pledge. I will tell your story and I will keep telling your story until people realise what we are doing to you and your kind. And it's not right. Yeah, it's not. It's horrible. And if, if more people could actually, you know, ride on, ride on my shoulder, ride on any activist's shoulder and see what we are doing to these animals. You know, I, I remember uh, a little while ago with uh, the travesty that was eked out in Indonesia with the people brutalising the animals. And one of the senators here said that Lynn White had paid the workers to do that to an animal. And I just thought, how that is so unforgivable. Like, sh it's shooting the messenger. And I think for some people it is It is like, you know, you're shooting Bambi in front of them. You, you're telling them there's no Father, Father Christmas. Like, we want to believe we are a fair and just society. You know, we, we desperately need to believe that because when we actually start to think we're not, you know, we start, who, who are we as human beings? Like, what, what are we doing? What are we doing when we're actually not doing the right thing? So we need to have mechanisms in place for people to support them through the change. And I think... As, as, as vegans, as advocate for animals, we need to remember kindness is, is going to help people to actually engage in that process, to not put defences up so people don't accuse us of actually falsifying things. So that's sort of – it's a lifeboat argument. It's taking attention away from what we're doing to animals, saying someone paid someone to do that. This look at what's happening to the animals. Yeah. You know, they do the same for the duck shooting. Like yes. every year that there's all of the – I think it's in front of Parliament House yes, absolutely, and yes. they bring all of the animals and they were kept and they say like, oh, they freeze them <laughs> and they defreeze them every year. These are the mm -hmm. same animals that are being used. I'm just like, one, that's insane. Yes. That's an insane... It's an insult. <laughs> and, and it's an insult. And the fact that it doesn't... Like, I mean, one, it's not happening, but two, just to look at... It, the animals that are there mm. are, you know, they are dead. That is the truth. That is what yeah. the truth is. Like, I think it is very shocking for people to face the truth and they try and put all these false arguments. Before I started Edgar's mission, I did used to go out onto the wetlands to to save our water birds. Yeah. And it was – and even my trajectory of doing that, you know, I used to go out to try and save the injured birds. And uh, this is madness. Like I'm waiting for the guys to shoot them and save them. Actually, I'm going to try and stop them shooting them. So then I would actually go out and, yeah, try and scare the birds off, off the wetlands to stop them being shot because it just seems so insane. And – that's actually really at the coal face of of you see these men wanting to kill animals and these people wanting to save them and how angry the shooters get. And I see natural attrition is the hunter numbers are going down every year, but the ones that are staying out there are um, all the rednecks, the ones who really don't want to have their right to bear arms uh, taken away from them. But we're running out of ducks for you to shoot, guys. Like, you know, you, you're not going to be able to shoot too much longer. It's terrible. The first bird that I ever rescued from a wetland was a little bird called an avocet. If you don't know uh, what an avocet looks like, just look it up. It's this little white bird with this funny little pencil-like bill that points upwards. It looks nothing, nothing like it. There's no way this little bird could have be mistaken for a duck and this little bird just flopped down in front of me and just put his little wings out and died in my arms as I was walking back to uh, the vet and it just struck me how how have we got to this how have we got to this that people are doing these things to animals and it's really sad but we need to have these conversations we just need to keep these conversations going with with the public and duck shooting I reckon that I'm, I'm positive duck shooting is going to end in my lifetime that that's a victory we're going to win that feels, it feels good to hear someone say that because I'm, oh my God, I'm going to cry. I'm sorry. 
That's okay. That's okay. And it, it is, it is, we, we feel this incredible sadness. You've got to come to Edgar's mission. You have to, uh, this, um, we had an activist day a little while ago. And one of the reasons when I actually started Edgar's mission, I, I wrote a list down of the reasons I wanted to start. And of course, it was to say, you know, to get people to come and meet these animals. But it was also a place I wanted activists to come and feel empowered to see that we are winning. We are seeing change happening. So you must come to Edgar's mission and walk away thinking, yes. These are beautiful animals that are living here, but the grace of kindness, the goodness of the human heart. You have farmers calling us up to to save an animal. There's one animal who's penetrated through that wall. And I think one of the reasons uh, it's getting harder to engage the people is because it's it's like an ice cube, you know, in the ice sculptors. And they start out with this big block of ice and they chunk away with big hammers and tongs and they bash away to start to get the shape forming. And then as they get closer and closer to actually getting the shape that they're doing, it's finer tools. It's it's more gentle behaviour that we have to start to, to get that. And that's where we're at now, this this gentle behaviour, just to get those finer little details done. We're getting there. It's incredible. There. It's so, it, you know, it's people like you. It's the activists that are the real heroes of this. I think I think we all heroes. I think I think ev- everyone is is a hero. We all can be heroes. You, honestly, the hardest way to save animals is to start a not-for-profit sanctuary for rescued farmed animals. The easiest way to save animals is to stop eating them. We're all heroes. We're all heroes in in our own time, and we all need to be kind to ourselves as well. I'm so sorry. It's just you know, it's you just wish you were doing more, and I wish I was doing more always. But, you know, sometimes you live in a tiny apartment and so you have your rescue cats, but you don't, you know, you can't rescue more and you just wish you were. And then you see people like you that are just having, you know, really living those values and and helping, really helping. And so it's just, it feels good for someone like you to say that we're changing things. We are, we are changing things. And I think Everybody has has a so please please don't feel you've given me a platform to talk about Edgar's mission. You've given me a day to come to Melbourne, so this is this is awesome. There's always these positive things, oh my God. and and that's one thing that I've actually had had to look at myself because it is we see a lot of sadness. We see a lot of sadness with the sanctuary, and I know that I can't rescue every animal, but I think we have to celebrate those wins and know that we are inching closer to that kind of world. She's on her goddamn way, like she's roaring, she's yeah. roaring, and it is we we, we can focus we have a choice we can focus on the bad things in the world or we can focus on the good things in the world and I I love to learn and I'm I'm learning so much the last couple of years my trajectory of learning has really been enormous and it is actually how incredibly powerful our minds are and and looking after ourselves and staying in that positive state you know if we actually go and um, beat ourselves up if we focus on the negative and looking at all those horrible hours of slaughterhouse footage it does something to us it's it's that black when you you go and you you shut down you you, you shrink and and that you know it floods our our bodies with all those really bad chemicals and the bad hormones that you know send us in this downward spiral Um, but when we when we see a pig in a park oh wow it opens our mind it opens us to new ideas and one of the things if you to come to Edgar's mission you must come um you walk around and the first thing you see is our little chicken village where all our chickens live they all have these individual little houses and it is so goddamn colorful it's, it's like so a rainbow and people go wow and their faces light up and they're going wow tell me more and it's that, that state that they're yeah. in, you know, and oxytocin floods through your body and it's that love hormone and we feel good. And this is so important that we actually stay in that, that feel-good state. That's not diminishing the suffering of those animals. It's not diminishing the footage that those people go and get out because, God damn, we need it. We, we, we need that. We need to let the public know what's happening right here, right now on our watch. That good people, like I was contributing to, I had no idea. Like sometimes you think I just want to put everyone in a room and you know, tape their eyes uh, open and make them watch Earthlings. But is that going to engage in the next day in a conversation? Not some people, yes. Some people, some people, no. Everyone's at a different stage of their journey of life, and it's actually meeting them where they're at, yeah. and then and then guiding them, and then guiding them to that kind of world so powerful it's such a powerful message <sighs> sorry i just got so emotional right there people please anyone listening please don't beat yourself up because you you don't think 
you're doing enough like you don't have to run a sanctuary I said it's the hardest way to save animals you don't have to go to the vigils if you don't think you can do that there are so many other ways that we can help animals volunteering at stalls volunteering at a sanctuary doing a podcast like you're doing now (laughs) yeah having your family and friends around for a vegan meal there's so many things that we can do to make the world a kinder place that you don't have to do or think of something that no one else is doing and that's one reason why I started Edgar's Mission because at the time there, there was no place for farmed animals to go there, there just was was nowhere like I heard about farm sanction America but we didn't really have anything in Australia for farm animals for someone like Edgar to go I thought well this is really sad you know we need to create so and now there are so many sanctuaries around our country it, it's it's really awesome lots of places people can go lots of places these animals can be safe but wouldn't it be even more awesomer I just made up a word <laughs> in the day when we don't need places like these sanctuaries to, to be and and maybe that's going to happen and it's so interesting because so many of the people that I've interviewed for the podcast have said things like my ultimate dream is for what I do to become irrelevant <laughs> because it won't be needed anymore yeah and I think that that makes that it just highlights the value behind what we do is that all of it is really for the greater good and to basically change the world to not be needed anymore. Yeah, I think that I think that is one of the lovely things about about our movement is these people motivated by selflessness, like you know, actually what we put ourselves yeah. through, um, because we want to think of the the greater good of our of our tribe. Yeah, of our tribe that we know that there's better within us. We know that we can be better individuals, and I think that's really, really empowering. That we actually, you know, most businesses say that they want to be number one. They want to have millions of dollars in sales and it's huge whatever. We yeah, we want we we want to not be needed. We want to not be needed. The way we treat animals and and the vegan movement, I think it's actually just it's it's also a symptom of who we are because I think it's not just the way we treat animals. It's animals are how we manifest our belief of a respect of life. You know, I I don't think you have to... um, Vegan people label it as a diet, and I don't think it's a diet. It certainly is a way of life. And I think as human beings we need to think about our survival on the planet and that's that capacity to care i touched on it earlier when i said about you know part of our hearts shuts down when we say it's only uh i think we need to actually recognize that we are in a global community of people because we are animals too i often hear people say oh you know i like animals you know i don't like people we're animals like we're animals too folks you know and remember that so you you like the the ones that don't have two legs and you know whatever like people we're animals as well so i think when we extend our kindness and we have no borders to that kindness as a species we're going to be better off so it's not just you know how we treat the animals who farm for food or fiber or the ones in entertainment or the ones in racing when our kindness knows no borders that's the world i want to live in that's the world and as a consequence of that people will be vegan it's not yeah. actually we, we actually strive towards veganism. I think we, we strive towards kindness. As a consequence of that, people will be kind. And the ultimate, for me, the ultimate eking of that is, is to not cause harm and not cause harm to, to animals because, and I'm going to get that quoting now, you know, if we could live happy and healthy lives without harming others, what compelling reason, what compelling reason can you offer for not doing that? And we, we've run out of reasons now. One of the reasons for not living happy and healthy lives. There's so many ways that we can live and sustain life and enjoy sports and have fun and entertainment without causing harm to animals. Um, do you do people kind of come to you if if they want consultancy into opening? Like if if someone that's listening would be ever interested in starting their own sanctuary, what would be the steps to make that happen? That's a great question. We often get asked that one, and there's I can't give you like I can't even give you attempt to give you a short answer on that. We actually started a, a kind critic here conference that a couple of years ago we've been doing about four or five years now, where people could come and we'd just spend a weekend going over what in, involved in starting a sanctuary. And it's actually really interesting. I actually went to America to farm sanctuary when we actually made the move to where we are now to go to there critic conference what they i can't remember what they call their conference they do a conference for people starting sanctuaries and people say what what are you why are you going over there like to to," i said you can never not learn like you can never ever not learn and it was really interesting that a lot of ideas that we were doing a lot of things we were doing they're doing uh, new ideas it was just great to network and meet Susie and all the people over there at, at farm sanctuary um, so we started the Criticare conference, which is great. But actually, there's a great website now that I said we've become obsolete. It's called opensanctuary.org. So um, if you're interested in starting a sanctuary, have a look at opensanctuary.org. Um, 
there's no benefit in for me. I don't get any money if you look at it. So there's no affiliation there. It's started by um, some people in America and the work that they have done putting in that website together, so much information there that people can learn about the ins and outs of starting a sanctuary. Jump on there. But please, all I can say is please do your homework because a lot of well-intentioned people have gone out there and said, I'm going to start a sanctuary. And they've gone belly up they've they've overcommitted themselves and people look at our sanctuary go, oh well you know i'm going to start that and they think you know that they can immediately replicate that overnight it hasn't only been 16 years in the making that sanctuary it goes back to the time when i was doing the cat and dog rescue and it even goes back in the times of my childhood all those life experiences have got me to where i am today and it's 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 very it is a lot of hard work like the hardest way to to save animals is to start a not-for-profit sanctuary the easiest way to save animals is to stop eating them so how, how can we marry the two and think about where your strengths are maybe it's helping other sanctuaries maybe it's being an advocate maybe it's designing fashion maybe it's doing a podcast there's lots of things where you could do or if you still want to do a sanctuary great start a sanctuary but do your homework yeah. do your homework you, you don't have to answer that question if it's like too much but can you give an idea of how how much does it cost a year running a sanctuary like edgar It's hundreds of thousands of dollars. It, it, it scares me away. It's so much money. When I think when I first started, you know, I did this little bit of paper and now it's into the hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, last year alone, I think our vet bill was over $250,000 wow. just, just for vet bills. It's, it's a lot of money. And this is not... You know, don't panic and if you start a sanctuary it's not going to be that expensive and because we've been going for so long we have so many older animals and towards oh, the yeah. end of their life their their special needs special diets lots of drugs and those sorts of things to, to keep them going which we don't begrudge but that's what they need and it's very actually challenging even for the vets that we work with because they've never dealt with an old sheep because yeah. all sheep die so young they they don't get to, yeah these animals are getting to get old which is something these animals never get to do and they're doing it just beautifully and in doing so they're incredible advocates for their for their kind is it mostly funded by donations at it this is point? it's funded yeah. by donations i've put my entire life savings into there um a legacy from my dad has gone into the sanctuary to um do it. I, i don't i'm not I'm not married and i don't have any children so this this is my legacy And that was Pam Ahern from Edgar's Mission. Again, sorry for the crying, and all I can say is that I obviously have a tremendous amount of gratitude and respect for the activists and owners, founders of animal sanctuaries out there that are making real change to the lives of animals. If you'd like to donate to Edgar's Mission or plan a visit to this beautiful sanctuary, I do encourage you to visit their website at edgarsmission.org.au. That's Edgar's E-D-G-A-R-S mission.org.au If you like this episode, please make sure to subscribe to our show, rate us, leave us a comment if you're on iTunes, and as always, tell all of your vegan friends. For any comments or suggestions, including potential guests, both in Australia and abroad, please feel free to email us at hello at veganwomencollective.com. The Vegan Women Collective podcast is recorded, mixed and produced by myself, Rachel LaMarche. I thank you again for listening and I'll talk to you soon. Cheers! <laughs>